Hello, and welcome back to Things Are Going Great For Me, a podcast about the arts and the entertainment business. My name is Jay Claude Deering. I'm an actor and a comedian. If you're new here, welcome. Pull up a chair and get comfortable, because we want you all to enjoy yourselves. Have yourself a bagel, or even a Bialy, if you're feeling precious. On each episode of this series, you'll hear from huge movie stars, big TV stars, and even some bright, shining Broadway stars, as well as second guest interviews with exciting up-and-coming comics and actors and established producers, authors, and writers. We banked all the episodes, which also makes this series a time capsule of events that occurred throughout an historic summer. You can follow me, your host, at Deering on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow our show handles on Twitter and Instagram at ThingsAreGoingGreatForMe. There you'll find our link tree that has links for our email list and Patreon. We've got some special items up on our Patreon right now. We've uploaded a few additional minutes from my interview with movie star Chris Pine from back in April of this year. Pine reflected on the pause the movie industry was about to take with the U.S. starting to shut down businesses and life as we knew it. He also talks about shooting a pandemic movie early in his career called Carriers. And for all you Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans, we've also uploaded 20 additional minutes of my interview from last week with Melissa Fumero. We talk about some of our memories from college, our favorite acting teachers. Melissa also talks about giving birth to her second son right at the beginning of a global pandemic. You can check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. Here comes the rate and subscribe part. If you like any of what you hear today, please do us a big kindness. Subscribe to the show. Leave us a nice comment. Tell your aunt about us. Give us those five stars wherever you're getting your podcasts from today. Hey, Apple Podcast peeps. We see you, Spotify folks. Hey now, Stitcher fam. What's up, you freaky pocket casts, cats? Hey, Breaker brethren and sisterin. Salutations, radio public people. Hello, you overcast outroverts. Welcome to the party, Google Podcasters. We love you all equally, and we hope you love what you hear, and we want to keep bringing you new episodes of this show. And by the way, we're thrilled to be sponsored for this limited series by Icelandic Glacial, the purest tasting water on Earth, sourced from the legendary Ulfus Spring in Iceland, naturally filtered through ancient lava rock, and certified carbon neutral for both product and operation. You are what you drink. Be a force of nature. Icelandic Glacial, natural spring water, sourced from Iceland. Available on Amazon, IcelandicGlacial.com, and a retailer near you. Oh boy, I am excited about this episode. Today's first guest is Christine Woods. Christine played Jessica on HBO's Emmy-nominated Hello Ladies, starring Stephen Merchant. She also played Lucretia Colder on USA's Briar Patch. She talks about her audition process for Hello Ladies, beginning with reading for one of the best casting directors in the business, Allison Jones. We talk about the nerve-wracking process of booking a TV pilot. She's booked a whopping 13 pilots in her busy career. She talks honestly about the pressures she's encountered while navigating the business, including her experiences being an actor with a film at Sundance. We also talk about going to school for musical theater and our plans to start a Hollywood intramural choir. It's a great and candid chat. I'll be speaking with her in a few minutes. And a little bit later, you'll also get my conversation with Royce Johnson. Royce is a comedian and actor. He currently plays on a house team at the beloved upstart punk rock comedy school, The Pack Theater, here in Los Angeles. He talks about the differences between some of the notable L.A. comedy schools. He also talks about taking part in Studio U, a long-form focus group run by notorious political consultant Frank Luntz that was instrumental in the development of Hulu. Royce is one of the sharpest culture critics I know. Stick around. You're not going to want to miss it. Joining me again today is my producer and co-host, Winston Carter. How you doing? I'm good, man. (laughs) So this is one of my favorite episodes. Um, Mm -hmm. Both of our guests 
very few fucks to give. Mm-hmm. They're honest uh, and fearless in their interviews, talking about the realities of navigating the business from two distinct backgrounds. Yeah. Christine talked a little bit about uh, the glamorousness or lack thereof mm-hmm. in the in in showbiz. Um, uh, yeah. Do, 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 what's your take on do, have we talked about this yet what is your take on the glamorousness of show business it is obviously glamorous but it's also like uh, exhausting and it's like a constant grind that's really what I liked about this uh, interview was like was like yeah you can be on a million shows and people know who you are and it's yeah. still a grind so for someone like Christine she's booked 13 pilots once you've booked mm-hmm. 13 pilots you're quote on a pilot when you book it can get up into the sort of, let's just say six figures. Um, and yeah, okay. that can, that's enough money to cover your, your year. You still have to pay yeah. your 30% tax. You have to pay your 10% manager fee, 10% agent fee. If you have a publicist, you're paying oh, them thousands gross. of dollars a month. Ugh. So, you know, you're, you're looking at maybe walking with about 40% of that. Um, but if you are, if you booked your first pilot or your second or third or f- even fourth, likely that would not cover everything for the year living in, ex- in, in an expensive city like Los Angeles. Um, Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, it's tough. It doesn't, it doesn't really get better until you, like we've said, like you are really in demand, um, you know, but someone like Christine, like she's at a point in her career where, you know, I am very hopeful not hopeful. I'm very, uh, I aspire to be where she is. Um, and you know, I'm sure she would say as she does talk candidly here that even that is not quite where, you know, a person might need to be particularly a person who might have a family. Um, you know, one of the things that I, so I was very, uh, I was very, uh, thrilled to be asked to go on, uh, a friend of mine's podcast, Alicia Oxy, who has a wonderful podcast Mm -hmm. called that one audition folks go Mm -hmm. check it out. It was great. Um, it was very kind of Alicia to have me on. Uh, I did one of her Wednesday wisdom episodes and we spent the time talking about happiness in this career. And, um, you know, for me, this was a question that I had asked Chris Pine too. Like, is anyone happy in this, in this business? And he basically said like the human condition is sort of what it is. It it will always, it's always going to be life on life's terms. Um, You, you know, you can be at any stage of this career success wise and you can still be depressed. And, and, And it doesn't mean that what they're saying is not true, but it's like your frame of reference for what are hard things has changed. Cause like, you know, someone at like a big actor level might be like, well, I've never gotten uh, nominated for an Oscar. Like someone like Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Like, and then they're just chasing the, they're making the problems. The only things they don't have, like for years, he notoriously wanted to win an Oscar. Why? Cause he done everything else. Like there's nothing else. Yeah. So I kind of, I'm, I, I kind of, while I also agree, like the grind never ends, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I do genuinely believe I'm I'm a firm proponent of like there's ways that this industry could change to make the grind less for people who are actually on the gr- the real part of the grind. Uh, that yeah, for me that would be like question. Like, I agree. Like I personally believe if you're if you're if you're testing for a sitcom, uh, if you're doing all that, that's a that's work. I honestly think that all the all all major productions should pay you to audition. 
it should be like 50 bucks. It shouldn't yeah, be something insane. I, I so agree that because you know what? I yeah. agree with that because it's, you know, they, people will say, well, you have to, you know, you have to interview for jobs in, in the world. But you could even argue that we've become more of a gig economy across all industries. Okay. There are yeah. a lot of temporary part-time w- workers out there. Okay. That's not a good thing. But yeah, uh, well, but I agree because actors have to, we have to apply for a job uh, maybe five uh, to 10 times a week. And I agree yeah. with you, man. Our time is money. I think that's a good well, idea, I, dude. I really do believe like there's this whole thing. So I work, you know, I I do entertainment stuff, but I've also have worked in like the dot com space some. And there's a whole yeah. thing now where they're like, you know, it became very popular for a while. People would give you like a packet of stuff to do, right? They'd right. Say, that's like, what Here, I've done. This is all your sample. Yeah. That that's what I've is done now finally. Too. Yeah, and people are figuring out like that's not okay because you're essentially asking them to do a bunch of work, work for you. Yeah. For free. And, the, and even if even if you're never going to use it, you're still asking them like, well, sh- exa- let me show you how to how you would make this. I had to make like an editorial calendar for one. And I was like, no, I'll, I'll do mm-hmm. a week of it. I'm not doing you a said, month of it. You like, said no. Yeah, I responded Good like, hey, you, here's the deal. I'll, here's a week. Here's what I would do in a sample week. But I'm not doing like because what they sent me was no joke. 16 hours of work. Probably it was like That's what so I've done much in the past I was, like, for those writing jobs, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I was like, no, I'm not doing. That. Well, this was like for like, uh, it was for an editorial, like kind of manager position for. Uh, I'll say, fuck it, Snapchat. Um, and I was just like, no, I'm not doing this. Like, here's my samples. Here's my other work. Here's my references. Yeah. You guys can hire me or not hire me based on that, but I'm not doing. Like, I'm not going to do all this. This is insane. Um, yeah. But when you think about it, that's literally what every actor is being. And some of them might like, might, like if you're like me, when I would go to commercial auditions, I would be like, I'll figure the sides out when I get there. I don't care. Like, I know I'm good in this fast moment, but some people are like hiring vocal coaches and, and running it over sure. and doing all these things that A, they're paying out. And of, everyone's but also paying, they're being asked. Yeah, we're all paying they're doing the, the work. We're, we're, we're all paying these self-tape fees now, too, for self uh, yeah. self-tape studios. It's just getting more and more expensive every year. Yeah. Um. I agree with you, man. I think there is. I mean, I will say this, like when they hire someone to act in something, typically they have written something and they have an idea of what it's supposed to be, but it's still an idea on paper. And what yeah. happens is the the right person walks in the room and they go, oh, this is our person. This person yeah. is a TV star or what have you. Mm-hmm. And they go, and this is who the character always was. This is who it was. And that work that people do when they come in the room and give their interpretation, that's that ends up being a part of, you know, final ideas yeah. for who the character is. So they are they're getting every single possible take on who this character could be. Yep. And, I, you know, there is no copyright on people's work when they come in as an actor and give their uh, expression of who that character could be. But that could end up later in the pages of a produced show. One hundred percent. Well, I think it's worse in commercials where people go in and they ask you to improvise. You know, they'll ask you to improvise, and then you'll see the commercial and be like, "I said that line," and maybe has a bunch happened? of people said has that, that line. Has that actually happened to you? It has not happened to me. It has happened to other people. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. I did want to ask you one thing before we throw to the interviews. You know, Royce yeah. talks about the difference between some of the LA comedy schools, specifically the UCB theater and the PAC theater. Mm-hmm. And you are in a unique position to comment on that as you have been on yeah. teams at both schools. Mm-hmm. What, what, so what are the differences that you've experienced between the two schools? 
So I've uh, I'm on a team at the pack, but I got kind of out. So I haven't gone through their improv program per se. Uh, not per se. I just haven't. Um, but I am familiar with their improv. I have lots of friends who perform there. The differences are very much. I mean, UCB is the and then yeah, I've been on a on a mess hall team at UCB, um, and have gone through their entire program. It's just very UCB basically figured out in my mind how to uh, make a. It's not. It, they they put down how to do improv. So really, more importantly, how to be funny and think about comedy into a set of rules and guidelines that anyone mm-hmm. can apply to anything. Right. So once you they've they've essentially labeled a game and come up with like these are things like we know we can teach you these aspects and these aspects will make you funnier and we'll give you a framework to think about comedy. The pack does uh, has elements of that and I know they do teach like a lot of behavior stuff and a lot of uh, status play, but I don't think that they're based on my experience nearly as regimented and as organized in that. And I think while the pack is probably somewhere where if you're a naturally funny player, you've been doing improv for a while, you can go. And I, th- I think there's great classes there. Don't get me wrong. But that you're going to go there and maybe get better. But I think if you don't really have any experience, and in LA's case, if you're, you know, someone who just moved, got here and wants to, you know, audition for commercials and wants to understand fundamentally, like, I'm not a very funny person. Can you give me some, like, some rules to make me funny? Hmm. That's why UCB, that's what UCB really excels at, in my opinion. Um, got it and the school but i will argue i think the school vibe of the pack is closer i've been in la for 10 years so i've been doing stuff at ucb since like 2011 2012 i think maybe 2011 is probably when i checked my first class yeah um the vibe at the pack is more it's closer to what the vibe at ucb was when i first started than ucb is now yeah ucb now feels like a fucking school like it's very this big monolith and you know that's that's the nature of things like the pack is the young upstart who are like scrappy and fighting and very punk rock uh and ucp does they talk about being punk rock they are so far from it got it okay yeah how do you feel about i think we've done a pretty good job with our first season here so far what do you think do you think at this point we should be doing a second season i hope so i'm i'm excited about because i've honestly uh, thought more and more about like this first season is uh, very much like it's your it's 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 Claude's acquaintances and I'm very interested to open this up into people that you don't necessarily have a history with right uh, to see because you've been such a like studious uh, like you've prepped for your interviews so much more than I would have uh, and genuinely asked insightful good questions that I'm like oh shit I know people who are doing pretty well who I'd like to genuinely hear them have this conversation hmm all right we'll have to see well folks once again you've been very patient with us (laughs) without further ado here now is the hugely talented and hilarious and soulful christine woods i mean i think that i was always really attracted to um, movies, of course, and television. But for me, it was music because I got my start in kind of performing as a singer. And so as a youngster, I did I studied classically with a teacher. And so I did all these weird, nerdy music competitions and 
was eventually how I was able to pay for college was that I got a singing scholarship. Oh. And so my initial doing... interest was studying vocal jazz. Oh. In like a music department, and you know, I had done the musicals when I was in high school, and yeah. I was always very rounded. I played varsity sports. I, you know, did a lot of different things. Um, but when I got to college, was really the moment I thought, okay, I don't know if I want to be like a singer. I don't know if you know, I, I'm I'm not. A musician per se so what's the what about this like acting thing like maybe this is something I would want to incorporate so then you know I always loved musicals of course growing up and I'm a tap dancer and I've always you know just done a lot of different things so I decided to do musical theater and I went to a school that had a BFA program I went to the University of Arizona and it was the one school I auditioned for <laughs> it was the only thing only place I applied because I was, it never occurred to me to like go to New York. Huh. Why not? I, I think I was afraid to be that far away from home. I, okay. I don't think I was mature enough for college when I went. I think I needed like a year. Huh. I think I went a little too soon. <laughs> That's so interesting. I had to do, so I um, yeah. did all of that as well. I was a singer. Uh, I mean, I did a lot of, sh yeah. sh I mean, I was acting. Since I was 11, I started working a little professionally. When I was out here for those like junior high years, I started to, I booked like an Encyclopedia Britannica commercial, which is like, <laughs> just take a look at my photo again and you're like, perfect. <laughs> and then um, I booked a show, I booked this show, Evita, um, but it would, to be a, you know, a, in the, like a child yeah. in that. Um, but, so uh, where was that? That was in New York or that was? That was in Santa Barbara. That was at the, Oh, wow. Santa Barbara Civic Light Opera. That was my first job. I was 11. Wow. I had a music teacher at uh, school who, uh, Terry Radilla, uh, who was like, you should go audition for this. And uh, I remember just, I got up and I, it was like a thousand seat house and I sang Be Our Guest. And there, the director, Mark Lipschitz, was like in the middle of the seat, the, the theater far away and was like can you sing like that for three months and I was like yeah I don't know <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> hopefully I think I said probably I was like I think so and anyway that was my first job <laughs> but then sure. I did do I did all That's that really classical cool. singing too like I did the so you were doing arias and that sort of stuff is that right what's vocal jazz were you scatting I mean <laughs> essentially vocal jazz is like a category for all of those singing competitions okay and so you did you did you go to like nerd singer summer camps and stuff you know I, that's the kind of shit that I, <laughs> I did some of the theater ones um by that point i was in a at an american school in in the uk so we would do things like that but i was doing like i did honor jazz band. i was i was a, i played piano as well so i did honor jazz band and i did um we would do honor international honor choir things like that so choir yeah. like i miss choir a lot i would love to get and i haven't Me seen too i have not seen a lot i'd like to get like a like an la choir going that you know i would i mean i know there's there's the 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 uh gay men's chorus i think and there's also i think there's a silver lake choir oh Okay. Um, and then the LA Women's Choir. I don't know if the Silver Lake Choir is still a thing, but I miss it. 
I mean, I fantasize about, because same, I would do, so I would do like Chapman School of Music, oh, like yeah. for like a couple of weeks we would go in the summer and just do these weird, basically just learning how to perform opera and that mm. musical theater and I was just like, oh, I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's just like, I don't think people understand that like, vo like classical music vocal performance is like it, it's basically like having a kid who like wants to be like a violinist at in the symphony like right. the amount of work that you have to do and when you're a kid and you're just like oh god this is so exhausting i want to go play sports it's mm. like it kind it became kind of a chore to me you know and so i think that that's why i wanted to like well, you're singing in, the acting thing you're singing in german and italian or whatever and you're like what am i and it's not cool. It's not that it's I mean, not your friends aren't like sing the aria for us. You know, you're like I was, really. I was lucky in the sense that I didn't really care about what cool was. Like I somehow being completely hopelessly a nerd kind of worked for me in a weird. I think people were like, oh, like he's. It's too easy to be mean to a guy like that. So, <laughs> like, like, well, he's just doing his thing. He's just just leave him thing. alone. He's not hurting anybody. Um, but then I yeah. did musical theater in college as well. So what were your? That's how I sang my way into college, and then I then I tr I t was talking to Brandon about this because we went to the same school. I transferred mm -hmm. into Stella Adler, and I did my I did the second two years I did over there. But w so what were the musicals you did in college? Do you remember which um, uh, shows? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I well, I remember I did. I played Ado Annie. We did Oklahoma. Oh, interesting. And we did like classical things. Um, and I, it was also like it was a classical school, so Chekhov, Shakespeare, Moliere, all that stuff. And I right. played Ophelia in Hamlet. That was a big thing I did my junior year. Very cool. And we did in the the first couple of years we did. Let's see. We did Guys and Dolls. Fun. I just rewatched that. And film. I was like a dancer. The film is really Freshman. good. I just watched that on during this quarantine a few weeks ago. The Guys and Dolls movie with um, Sinatra. Oh yeah, that's it's, a good one. It's really good. Guys He's and Dolls great, great in that. Were you were you Adelaide or were you Sarah? I, I wasn't. I was Adelaide's understudy, and she was so good. The actress who played Adelaide, but I was like a dancer. You know, I was like a Kit Kat. Club? That was no. That is that. Yeah, Kit Kat Club. I think that's right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I did that, and then we did a lot of freshman year. We did a lot of like um, reviews. Okay. We did a lot of like a lot of like kind of vocal jazz stuff, which is mm. why I think I got accepted into the program because like my. Essentially, my pieces for auditioning to the school were like for a music school. Yeah. So when I wanted to go into the musical theater school, they were like, "Sure, yeah, okay, you can, yeah, you can figure this out." Because I had so many like, all the you know music people were like, "Yes, she's allow her to go be in your program." Yeah. We'll figure the rest out, but a musical theater school is really. You know, it'll really, it'll really beat you down. <laughs> I do remember a student passing out in ballet class once, and the teacher, m under her breath as she passed me and some other people, was like, another one bites the dust. And I was like, what the <laughs> fuck is happening? Like, is this studio, these, all these ex-Studio 54 dancers who were our teachers, um, 
I mean, they yeah. they must have gone through it. I mean, I can't even imagine what it was like to be a dancer in the 70s, a woman and a dancer in the 70s in New York City. My God. No, I can't. I That's just feel rough... like a lot of people on like amphetamines. I mean, if I mean, we mm. all watched the Fosse show. Yeah. On FX, you know. Yeah. And I think that it, yeah, a brutal, brutal, brutal. So I, you know, I'm glad I was never like just a dancer. That seems like a lot of work. Yeah. And but, even singing, I mean. The but thing. yeah, it's when I came to LA, I was like, no musicals. Yeah. No music. Nothing. And I just totally. Like I ran from it. Yeah, I did kind of the same. So I, yeah, I like I was as big a fan of movies as I was of theater at that point. And yeah, I think the other thing with this with musical theater, and I miss it now. I want to do it now. Um, now I'm like ready to do it. Uh, well, we're gonna start a choir, so like yeah, more more yes. on the choir thing later. But like, <laughs> yes. I'm a hundred percent. In. Intermural choir. Hundred percent. Fuck yeah! All right. And my I'm fiance ex- is a composer, an orchestral composer. Oh yeah. For film and television, so he can arrange anything for us. Oh my god, that's what you need. I love yeah. this. Okay, yeah. we're gonna make this happen. It's the thing that was tough. I think was that like you can't drink, you can't smoke a cigarette, you can't have coffee. You have to get good sleep every. I mean, that's not a great. For when you're in your 20s, it's amazing There's the people who can do that. Yeah. You've got to, you got to <laughs> wear that. I was not very good. Like, I, in college, I, like, I smoked cigarettes. Yeah. Like, I was just kind of like, whatever, I'm a jazz singer. Like, I could sound however I want. But, like, you know, as an adult, I look back and I think, like, wow, you, you weren't really seeing what you could do at all. <laughs> so... <laughs> Now, as an adult, it's like I feel very conscientious, and how can I, how can I craft this instrument? Yeah, <laughs> you know. And but I don't think, but I don't think it's too late. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't look back at that time and think like, wow, I just wish I would have da da da. But I do feel now that I'm just able to digest information in a much quicker way because being I think when you're a young person that's not necessarily prepared to go be part of like a professional program I I mean I couldn't hear that that I was you know like a criticism was hard I didn't understand what people were Mm. saying and then when they would be like oh you're so great I would immediately feel embarrassed and I didn't want you know I think learning how to craft yourself as a storyteller, I feel like I'm just now figuring out hmm. like what I'm actually supposed to be doing as it relates to like a bigger story, like a bigger arc or like what my place is in a script or in, you know, a season of something. I had no idea when I was that young in like an acting program. Yeah, there's some advice that you get, I think, from those great. Some of the teachers are really, really great, you know, and I think there's some advice that you get from them that is stuff that doesn't it it doesn't even apply to 20 year olds or 18 year olds. Like it's not like I had a teacher once who said, make sure your agent knows what you can do. That didn't mean anything to me until like now. Right. Right. (laughs) Now I'm like, oh, okay, But like, yeah. 
Yeah, I think those some of those things kind of will go over your head. And then there is this like breaking down thing that they do with acting students, which if you like you were saying about criticism, like I was all about it. And I think that's part of it because I was somewhat like kind of a comfortable being a goofy me and knew mm -hmm. that I don't know why I was just kind of it was OK to light a fire under me. But I saw yeah. teachers say wild shit to people. Like, I remember a teacher saying at the end of a semester to a student that their work the entire semester was crap. <sighs> and I just, at the end, and just, just the blood that drained out of this kid's face. And I just thought, like, that's not fair. <laughs> that's your job, yeah. man. <laughs> if this guy yeah. sucks at the end of the semester. It's like, you're then, telling me now yeah, that like, my work is crap. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a tough, it was a tough time. I remember just, like, constantly kind of like uh, ha acting out some will injury like being told that I needed to fit into a type of into a mold as like a musical theater girl mm, oh god and being Terrifying. like well I'm not that yeah. and then being like well but you have to pick one of these four ways to be a woman right if yeah. you want to make it in this town <laughs> and I remember thinking like, yeah huh yeah no the yep. answer is no. And now I look back and I think, oh, that was like, you're learning the history of this thing and you're learning where you fit in its in its broader kind of picture. Yeah. But back then, I think I just heard like, conform. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're you know? absolutely. And, the, and, and I love musical theater. It is one, it's this art form that people shit on all the time. They love to mm -hmm. shit on it. That being said, though, there is a lot. I mean, the older stuff, 1970s and earlier, I mean, it's steeped in misogyny. It's steeped in racism. Oh. Um, the newer, right? I mean, God, thank God for, for folks like Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is able to, you know, do for musical theater. I think it's like what they said about Quentin Tarantino. He sort of absorbed everything and then he sort of reserved us the American hamburger was a, a thing that oh, they said about totally. him. I feel like. Lin-Manuel is sort of in that category of thank God we have him in the musical theater world, I guess. Honestly, I mean, it's just, yeah, he, he's just and cracking that and, I mean, mold, other folks, yeah. you know, he's just doing something different. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, especially in a classical program, like we did old musicals and yeah. they're all really problematic. Well, Oklahoma <laughs> you know? was I didn't oh. was American propaganda during World War II. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And then we did Carousel, uh, which, which is, is about like a... so we intense. It's like, have you ever been hit in the face? But it really felt like a kiss. Basically, is the it's, narrative. It's about an abuser. Yeah, I know it's horrifying. Oh. Um, now, was Flash Forward this pilot? Was this the first pilot that went to series for you? Had you booked a lot of pilots up until that point? Um, flash forward was, let me see. It was the first pilot I, I had done that got picked up. Okay. Um, prior to that, gosh, I don't really remember, but I think I've been all in all, I've done like 13 pilots. That's incredible. Three of which have gone to series. Wow. So God, that's so emotional. Um, yeah, it's a lot. I remember uh, hearing a story about somebody who booked the pilot, went to the table read, got fired after the table read. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely heard that. And I've definitely been the person that has gotten that job. 
And I was also fired off of my first pilot. And you know what's so oh sad about it? It was a lifetime pilot. And I was like, I'm an actor now. I'm for reals. And I, like, didn't have to work four restaurant jobs. You know, like, mm. I just, everything opened up for me. And after we shot the pilot, it was terrifying. I didn't really know what I was doing. Before it was, like, time for the show to get picked up, they fired me. And the show, like, didn't get picked up. Like, it wasn't even close oh to getting picked up. And I was like, why did you, why did you have to go through that? Like, why did you have to just, just let it die on its own? Yeah. But I'm glad it happened very early on. It was a rite of passage. And I think I had an amazing manager who I was working with at that time. And he was like, you know who else got fired from our first pilot? Jennifer Aniston. Mm. And he started listing off all these people. And I was like, oh, it's like sports. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think that we yeah. internalize it as people taking away our talent, which is so easy for people to do. You know, it's easy for somebody to say one thing and you're like, oh, I'm a complete, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible at this. Like I was. Never yeah. And that's not like how it was in theater school. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I suppose I'm grateful for that experience. But but I also think that Hollywood, the, the pool, like it's hard to have that experience in front of like 18 people that, you know, very well. But then when you come to Hollywood and it's like, it just feels like such a huge world that it's like, you, like it's almost impossible. So you just try, <laughs> you know? It's like there's not very much risk because it would be, it would be insane for you to succeed here. So you right. just literally go for it without even thinking about it. Right. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think in my best moments, yeah, you just put it out and do your best work and try to let it go, I guess, right? Yeah. You went on to do a comedy called Perfect Couples. Was it fun working with that group of folks? Yes, I love that show. That was it, that was one of those shows that it was around, like, I think it was when, like, there was a bunch of shows, like, about couples like that, like, kind of these, like, uh, three couples in this situation, four couples, like mm. generational couples, like it, it was kind of a thing. Um, so we didn't last longer than one season, but it feels like it was much richer than just one season of television. Like I remember episodes so specifically, and that was in like 2009. Yeah. I remember like, like things that happened in the episodes so clearly, much clearer than a lot of other things I've ever done. Um, everyone in that cast is, was so special and so good. And Kyle Bornheimer played my husband. Yeah. Do you know Kyle? Not personally. I don't know. I don't think I know any of those folks personally now. Yeah, Kyle is absolutely brilliant. He's he one of like those an... actors that. Yeah, nice guy. You just keep waiting for him to like get his thing. Mm. But I learned so much about physical comedy from him, just watching him do it. Like, he's a he's a brilliant clown. I think the clown yeah. was something that he was really interested in and studied. And it, ugh, I learned a lot from, from those cast members. And I was a little bit younger than most of them. So, I, you know, I would always play kind of the other side of 25. <laughs> okay. You know? Even when I was... 20 oh, um, interesting. Oh, okay. or the other side of 35 I mean I I was I don't know I think I was I don't know not much younger than everybody else but I felt 
like people were very seasoned around me certainly in the comedy I mean when you see actors do things where they completely let go of their ego and or id or super whatever which one whichever one it is to just allow themselves to be seen it's just this thing that I think people get we get very vulnerable about because we don't know when we're being taken advantage of and when we're in good I mean it all has to do with I think being able to trust the people that we're working with to like go there and be ugly in a certain way or to be absolutely or silly you know or you don't want to be you know for me I think at my I was always too worried about being goofy until I realized maybe it was like my superpower if I could just allow it to be you know allow people to see me but I think in the beginning of when I was trying I thought oh well everybody has to be like Matt Dillon brooding, you know, like yeah. that's, the, the, that's just not a great color on me, <laughs> but it took me a few years to be like, Oh, that's not my, that's not my lane. Yeah. I mean, not everybody can pull off like yellow, you know, <laughs> it's kind of a specific thing. And those first, I feel like I those mean, first headshots yeah. were always so confusing. Cause it was all about like, like, what are we supposed to be giving in the, it, you just want it to be neutral. That's what I remember, like yeah. a blank canvas upon which you, the you know, the director will or writer will be like, oh, I see him as a they don't, it doesn't help yeah. at all. Yeah, um, it's weird. And I'm like, I, I'm coming into this place where I've been very lucky to play like a lot of kind of weird kind of character stuff lately. And yeah, it's so freeing and so wonderful. And something I just did recently was the probably the most vulnerable I've ever felt on camera, like in a show. And I remember I just like, I gained a bunch of weight and I was basically the, the arc of the character was to like deteriorate essentially. And like Mentally. rock over the season of the show. And are you saying deteriorate? Just being allowed to do that. Do you mean just like Mentally, physically, or physically? mentally, emotionally, okay. like she just her life is falling apart. Okay. And it was so freeing to just not think about what she looks like other than mm. she's not thinking about what she looks like. And as a woman in Hollywood, like that's not always something you're invited right. to participate in. Right. You know? And just being able to like literally not fit into your clothes and literally just not I mean and and then that that might sound a little kind of surfacy and trite but like for a woman who's been told that her value in and the way she'll be able to pay her bills is by like lurk looking a specific and certain way it's right. I feel very lucky that as I get older I'm able to kind of expand beyond those things and not still have to hang on to them yeah tight as I can you know yeah hopefully we are moving in a more positive body positive direction as a business yes. did you experience a lot of that when you were meeting early on with agents and things were you getting those horrible statements like you need to lose x amount of weight did that ever happen no that definitely never happened but I did notice a I I noticed a kind of charge from audition rooms and people and uh, producers, creatives, when I was like starving myself 
Mm. Like they would be like much more excited about me for the role. Okay. Yeah. And I could have just maybe that was just something that was like happening in my head. Um, but I definitely feel like I've I've been I've encountered a lot of like she's just so pretty. Why did she not do it? Hmm. Why did she you know, not? Like, just the... like you yeah, like why didn't yeah, she like right. do it? Hmm. It's like she's almost there. Like why is she throwing it in our faces? Like I that was a quote I've had before of like Oh my god she it was disrespectful. Oh, that, that it was this kind of a... like a tight, you know, that she looked frumpy and homeless. Like she's got the goods. Tell her to bring them. Jesus. This Christ. kind of like we see you rejecting it. It's like, no, I just put on a shirt. I wasn't even thinking about it. like, what do you mean rejecting it? And having to have that conversation with male reps and mm. trying to explain it and then having some men totally get it and some women not fucking get it at all hmm. that it, it you know it's it's definitely i mean look as a white woman i have so much privilege specifically as it relates to this industry as an actor hmm. you know that like i it was novel for me to hear those things and i would tell people and they'd go what you know <laughs> but i think for women of color, black actresses, like it is, it must be like that all the fucking time. And it must just always feel just so confusing and unfair and mm. weird and. Or that these are the boxes that we are available for you to play. You have to hit one of these, right. even more restrictive. Yeah. yeah, it's like be yourself, but like not really. <laughs> it's very hard I think to find any project where people it's it's weird because it's like you you there are going to be there are jobs where you are the role feels like a a glove and um not in a physical sense and th those feelings of being able to bring your authentic experience to those roles is very can be very cathartic and then there but then there are all sorts of other then you just you, it's easy for the business to confuse you with that thing of like well but no it's just acting you're supposed to act you know it's not supposed to be you know yeah. all right so i wanted to ask you about okay so getting back to hello ladies um i read that deadline had reported that it was a lengthy casting process um mm. can you tell us a, or me a little bit about the process of booking that show did you audition for, was it for Allison Jones? Yeah, yeah. She's the best. Uh, she's the best. The best. She always makes me feel, and other actors, I'm sure, some people I've talked about have corroborated, this, like, that you're just the only one there for the day, and that there's just so much respect for your time and what you do and what, you know. She's just, she's classy lady. She's really good at it. Yeah. Um, and it's, I remember I auditioned, I think Stephen was in the room the first time I went in. Stephen Murphy. And I remember yeah. I signed in and there was just all these incredible actresses 
around me, like all different age ranges. And I was like, oh, what am I doing here? Okay, whatever. And (laughs) I remember doing it and feeling like it went well. And then reading with Steven. And then I remember I left and I was like, oh, I think that went pretty well. And then they can, we did so many come back in producer sessions, come back in and read. Like we did so many rounds and a lot of it, we would improv. We would just like, I think it was just to get a sense of like, is this, is this a chemistry that's going to get us through an entire, you know, uh, series arc of television. And, and I think they were just looking for something really specific. I think they were really looking for like, somebody that wasn't totally recognizable i think in comedy or drama you must have been um, but i re- have had remember to... going doing the test yeah and just feeling like man that was really I'm glad that's over you know what was the test what is a test like for a single cam i've done a test for a multi-cam what's a single cam test like it's kind of exactly the same, okay. except usually there's less people in the room. Yeah. Uh, by a bit, just a bit. This was in at this was at the HBO offices when they were in Santa Monica. Yep. And it's a it's a screening room, like a big one. Yeah. So I remember thinking, like, why, ugh, why, why this size of room, you guys? Like, there's an office somewhere <laughs> that we could have done this, but I don't know. It was. Yeah, because a big room, you feel like it would, a big room would like swallow up the, the quieter moments of a single cam. And for, I guess if we're being too inside for people, it's like the difference, a multi-cam is sitcom and a single cam is what looks like a movie that is a TV show, which has been a thing now since, maybe since Scrubs, I feel like Scrubs might have been like the first, I don't know, something like that. Oh, Yeah. Now, you must have been competing yeah. against a lot of yeah. comedy, like all the UCB people, all the Groundlings people, I would imagine. And you beat them all. It's incredible. I mean, Not easy to do. I don't know. They've got I don't a, even know. Like, I never really lot. felt like I belonged to that kind of like comedy community in yeah. L.A. because I never did UCB. I never did Groundlings. I never did all of those things. Because when I first got out here, I was mostly working. I mean, I was doing a lot of drama. Like I was doing, I wasn't doing comedy. And so I didn't really, I don't know. I didn't really fall into that community. And now I have, I'm in the community. I have so many friends that are, you know, come from those schools and um, so many friends who are writers and, you know, that kind of thing. But that was another, like, I'm, I'm a fraud moment (laughs) when I like, had you been in for Allison Jones previous to this, or was this the first time you were the both of you were meeting? Do you remember? I'm, I met her early on. Oh, really? Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I met her early on in my career. This was the first thing I think she cast me in, but I tested for a few things with her, I think. Yeah. Um, and she definitely knew who I was and we had like a rapport. But, you know, it's interesting. Like you're sitting in the audition room. And I'm sure you can relate to this. You're sitting in the audition room 
around all these incredible people that you're like, oh my God, that person's so good. Oh my God, that person is so funny. And every time you go to an Allison Jones thing, someone from the office is walking out. Mm -hmm. When you're walking in or when you're leaving, someone from the office is walking in the TV show, The Office, and you're just like, oh my God, what am I doing here? Yeah. But then you realize like, oh, I'm here. Like I'm here because I'm 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 what I'm here because I'm here. You know? Yeah, I, I my experience was reading for the they wrote a New York Times article about it. And, uh, it was for a Paul Feig show that was going to take place in space, which they did. And um, I got they like a thousand people were submitted a, or something like a hundred people got to read her role or something like that and I was lucky enough to get to be one of these people so this is my first time reading for her and she got me immediately she was like where are you from and I said I basically I said like Massachusetts and she was like um she was like oh I know she was something about like oh I know who you are she was like you're like a young Adam McKay and I was like oh (laughs) I mean great you're like sure sure sure, yep that's that's what I was gonna say um she was so lovely and she's from Massachusetts too. There was we had a little bit of a, a bond there. And then she was like, "I'm going to bring you in for Veep." I think she said it in the room, and I was like, "Oh my, oh my god!" Like that's was the show. And I remember going back and being in that room you're talking about. And yeah, I, I'm not going to say who was there, but there were yes, those people were there. And a person came out of the room before I went in who was someone who you and I would we both love. I'm not going to say who it is they, because they were rattled. <laughs> they were a little older, and they were. I mean, I, I say that they're like a generation above us actor they were a little rattled they went they grabbed a handful of candy from the candy bowl which i was like there's always good candy there i was like that's a thing that that you're doing that i don't know put it in there and then they were like that did not go well and i was like oh i was like they'd be so lucky to have you on the show and they said oh thank you so much and then they left and then they mic'd me before going in the room and i was like what is going on and there was like nine people in there and julia louis dreyfus sitting there when I walked in and I like I think I had a good reaction because I'm so I was such a fan of hers I did not get the part though (laughs) I thought I had a pretty good audition but like that room was it was it's so many people in a tiny room and it's it's a lot of pressure yeah and I feel like Allison does that she'll like have the person in the room and it's like I, I think that she doesn't tell you yeah well yeah sure that's happened a couple of times, and I'm like, "What's Melissa McCarthy?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just like did shitty. Yeah. So, who knows? But I, I feel like she gets it. You know, like yeah. she's seen us shitty, she's seen us great, she still brings us in. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The final season of that show, Hello Ladies, came in the form of an HBO movie which was nominated for two Emmys. What's the experience like when your show is nominated for Emmys? Do you, do you get, do you go, is that when you get the invites to all the fancy parties? Um, no, specifically, no. I, this was, cause this was, um, uh, they were nominated for writing and we were nominated for something else. I think it was like comedy miniseries or something. Um, but, uh, I'm trying to think, because like I, occasionally I'll go to like the 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 parties and the events that surround these things. Um, like I think I went to an HBO party, but 
Um, yeah, it was definitely not. I watched it on TV. <laughs> oh my god! Really? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like a. Um, but also, I think that that has a lot to do with the fact that at that point, our show was canceled. So okay. we got kind of it was like at the buzzer, you know what I mean? Like we got because we we didn't really know that our show, you know, after the after that first season, we were kind of waiting around, thinking like, of course there's going to be another season. And I remember Stephen calling me, being like, I ugh, I wish I knew more, but like I don't know if we're going to come back another season. He was like, but we're definitely going to at least get to do like a special. Okay, like we're going to be able to to like finish the story at least, and so. We were relieved of that, but I think that we just went out with a bang and just tried to make an amazing, you know, hour long. And then all of that, that the Emmy nominations came, you know, way after. So I could have had something to do with it. I don't know. Huh. Now, but you have been to these kinds of events and parties, premieres, red carpet events and things like that. So uh, are you good at that? (laughs) You, do, do you I, think I'm good? Do I seem like I'd be good at that? I, I would imagine I anyone would be better than me know. at it. I seem like I'd be good at it. I mean, I, look, I think that it is, it's like, it's not a unique experience to like be an actor and like hate that stuff. You know, like we're not, I'm not special for like not liking that part of it. Like I think yeah. uh, it's, for me, it's much more unusual to meet a friend that's like, I love doing the red carpet. You know, and I do have friends like that and they yeah. are amazing at it. And they just, ah, oh, they're just so great at that part of the business. I'm really not. Yeah, I see people who thrive in that environment. They're they're talking with everybody there. You know, they're making possible new connections with folks. And yeah, I'm just, I'm, it's, do you think it's because, do you think that it, you're shy, a little bit shy? Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I, I, I think I, I don't like attention. I don't really want it on me. I do not like that feeling after you've been on stage and you have to walk out of the dressing room with like your bag. Mm. I, 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 oh, do, I do not like that feeling. Do you, I don't know, I was going to ask you if you felt the, the entertainment business was glamorous or do you think it feels cheaper than people on the outside think it is? I mean, I, if, yeah, I, I, it does not feel glamorous at all to me. It feel like I wouldn't probably use that, but I think it's, it's definitely, it's much harder than I think people understand. Right. Like it's much more difficult to, um, do press and to do pilot season, for example. Um, there's like, there's nothing glamorous about like, you know, having to, change your shirt six times in your car and right yeah staying up all night and working on something and just blowing it yeah there's really nothing glamorous about getting a job (laughs) yeah you know and that's what the business is right because you think of all the times you're 
working versus all the times you're trying to work. And it's just like 20% of the time you're doing it, but the other time is just, you're just, you know, doing the really hard work. Yeah. And the money. I'm a bummer. See, I'm a bummer. The, no, it's okay. I mean, I think that it's, yeah, I think we're, I mean, it's that the, the money is not, when you get that, when you realize that you're, what you're getting paid for, that's when you're like, oh, this is a, like, I pulled one over on everyone. Like, right. this yeah. is the, I, the fact that I'm getting paid this amount of money to, to do what I did, like, that's the greatest life. Like that, this is the life for me. Like, that amount of money has also come down over the years. So you have to hustle yeah. more for those opportunities. It's just in that moment, I think where you realize, um, I, I think that it, in large part, it's because there are so many moving parts that we are not aware of and do not get taught anything about when we're being educated about being artists that yeah. there, you know, I think it's like people want to, people very are very quick to say like, we don't want to hear any, but like, about any you know tears from or anybody being upset about getting to work in this particular business it's yeah. completely understandable yeah. um we certainly don't want to go back to waiting tables because that that's uh, that's one of the shittiest jobs it's hard yeah um totally. and just that thing of like anticipation of need of a of a of a restaurant patron you know um yeah um but yeah i mean i think that it's like you i but it's more like when you see like what a trailer actually is Mm -hmm. right when you're like oh it smells like it smells like pee pee in here (laughs) it's like that's the thing oh i said pee pee oh i get it so don't touch the water okay (laughs) because we're thinking back to the days of clark gable or whoever lucille ball and whatever we imagined that but you know what it probably was about the same except that they were living on the studio land i guess right weren't so many of those yeah that's true so i mean they were like trapped (laughs) that's why palm springs happened right they like couldn't go further than that when they were on contract so like that's why palm springs became a thing oh is that right to get out oh i didn't know that yeah it's the palm springs is such an interesting weird history of like you know, studio MGM studio contract players needing to leave town, but not being able to go that far. Oh my God! It's very weird. That's terrifying. Yeah. yeah, that would be a kind of a fun podcast to do, like the story of that. The story of Palm Springs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was gonna yeah. ask. You also, little... I wish I yeah. wish people. You made me think of something. I wish the one thing about the glamour part of this business. I wish people would have explained to me, and it's changed over the it's changed a lot in the last like 10 years right eight to ten years but I wish people would have explained to me that going to like a big film festival is like uh, like Sundance you're doing this like really like you know when we're in college it's like I'm just gonna be in a Sundance movie and I'm just gonna be so cool and it's just that what's gonna be about the cool movies and the cool work and then you realize like you you usually are paying your own way. You're usually, right. you know, like as a woman specifically, the cost to get your hair and makeup done and to like get a dress and to do all this stuff like you're doing that celebrities out of, out of pocket. get free dresses and they get people and this whatever. But yeah. if you're like me, just like just to be really candid, I mean, you're dropping your, you know, 
$3,000 or however much money you are on, like, kind of buying into that, like, on a movie, red carpet ready stuff. On a Sundance movie that you made how much money on? Oh, probably, like, a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars total. Yeah. So you're spending about three thousand to be yeah. for that one day where you're putting on the cool sweater for the photo yeah. that hopefully is yeah. going to end up on EW.com. Yeah. yeah. And the movie itself paid you about a thousand, and there are no real residuals for something like that. Correct. Gets bought. Yeah. This early days of Netflix gets bought, thrown on Netflix as part of the when they're just buying. Yeah intellectual property yeah, yeah. and then I it's was like you know, before you. netflix you could make money on a back-end indie movie right. but now it's like that's that doesn't exist now do you and do you ever go because i've i have not been to sundance yet and i wonder so like do you ever get to go did you have you been skiing because you've been a few times do you go skiing does anybody actually like no. go? some people do i think that if like here's the thing i've learned that you don't want to stay very long but if you do stay long, you probably want to ski, you know? But, like, I last time I went, I went last year, and I got, like, altitude sickness, which is what I thought was altitude sickness. I was so sick. And then I went to a screening in, like, another city. So you have to, like, drive an hour to go to a screening in another city. And uh, the director, Deborah Eisenstadt, one of my great friends, she was like, man, I feel really sick, too. And then cut to her, like, puking her brains out and oh, no. me puking my brains out. And a bunch of people from our cast, like, we all went out to dinner the night of the premiere. And, like, everybody got sick. And just, like, for three or four days, like, we would just hobble to screenings and, like, introduce the movie or, like, answer a question and just, like, go throw. It was so... So funny. Oh, it it's was like so that. Intense. It's like that movie for your consideration. Yes. Yes. That's a good movie <laughs> totally. for people to watch to get a sense of what it is, like what it really is. Yeah. So to just bring this back around to your gr- wonderful career, you continue to do nice, juicy arcs on hit TV shows like The Walking Dead and Brock Meyer, Grace and Frankie. There's this thing that people may also not know about where it's like you oftentimes like you will go in for a project where they've the sides that you're reading are not part of the script at all or the characters names have been changed. If it's anything that's related to Marvel or anything where they because spoilers have become such an an issue. Yeah, there's like a tracking number on your sides. Everybody your name is on your side. So people know if those sides get out who is responsible for it's very top secret. Very top secret. And do you have a funny story about one of those? Any, any, I remember one for me. I remember I went in for a diehard movie once early on for a, for a, I think it was for like um, a character who was dating his daughter. Um, and maybe he gets beaten up or something. And the, but they called the project Rise. That's what it was called. Rise. Oh, no. It wasn't called Die Hard or anything. I was going in for something called Rise. And I think that oh. it's great when your people say like this is Die Hard, but they don't it's not <laughs> you don't always know, you know? Yeah, you don't always know. I remember I went in for The Walking Dead. When I went in for that show, it was like such a it was completely fake sides, completely different character very weird like I think there was maybe like kind you could kind of draw 
of parallel between what it was and what you actually ended up doing. But it was like very thought out what they do to like trick people, for, especially of- for a show like that. I mean, like yeah. The Walking Dead is like so top secret that. Well, on that show specifically, I remember I, I did a big arc on season five and I ended up my character kills like a main character on mm. the show. Yeah. And they couldn't really tell her until pretty, I don't know, like a month before. Like it was like pretty like I, we were on set and I remember the actress who was so lovely and so great came back into the room after a big break and she was like upset. And I was like, what's wrong? And she was like, well, I just found out that you're going to kill me. Oh my God. Wait a minute. You and can say like, the name of this I'm actor, right? So this is because this is this it's is Emily Emily Kinney. Yeah, this is out there. This, there's yeah, no. Yeah, this happened. Yeah, this yeah, actually this happened. happened. She so so she came in. So great. She was like she came in. She was she was visibly shaken and she yeah, was she like, had like a little styrofoam cup with like nuts in it or something and just came and <laughs> sat down and was just like so upset, like tears were in her eyes and I was like, and what happened? And she was like, they just told me. I can't believe it that I'm going to die, that you're going to shoot me and it's going to be a thing. And I was just, I couldn't help but feel like I was, I was, Christine was actually going to kill her. (laughs) And I felt so bad. And I just kept being like, I'm so sorry. And I think at one point she was even like, it's, it's not you. It's, it's fine. (laughs) Oh my God. But a little bit, a little bit, it was you. A little bit, it was. A little bit, it was me. That's incredible. Yeah, that was like all my like weird kind of trapped in my own psyche around being the guest star and coming from the outside in and being like family. not welcomed in. Like I just I, I really had to just handle that it, in that moment. Oh, my God. That's such a I'll great. That's such a great story. Um, well, Christine, you're a wonderful person for coming in and, and doing this show, particularly since it's been a tumultuous couple of, of weeks for everybody in the country, in the world. In the world. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. So thanks. Thanks. Thanks so much for doing it. Um, you're awesome. I'm a big fan. Thanks, Claude. I'm a big fan of yours, too. I want to wish you congratulations again on your engagement and continued success in addition to safety and good health. Thank you. Well, there you have it. My conversation with Christine Woods. A big thank you again to Christine for doing it. I hope you all enjoyed it. Before we move on to our second interview today, I'm going to take another opportunity to ask you all to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're getting your podcast from today. We've got more incredible interviews coming up with folks like Ryder Doyle, Sarah Paxton, Tembi Locke, Dahlia Malik, Vinnie Chibber, and Elna Baker. Remember to subscribe to our Patreon to get all our extras with Chris Pine, Melissa Fumero, Baron Vaughn, and more. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash things are going great for me. If you like what you hear so far, please give us those five star ratings. Leave us a nice comment. We so appreciate all your ratings, reviews, and kind words, and we want to keep bringing you these great episodes. Next up is Royce Johnson. He's got some of the hottest takes around on the entertainment business. We talk about the disappearance of alternative culture, homophobia in Hollywood, and his favorite current television shows. He is an Instagram poet and one of my very best friends. Here now is me talking with the hilarious Royce Thomas Johnson.
recording. Say, would you say a few more things for me just to check? Yeah. Uh, a, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z. Now I know my ABCs. I forget. Won't you some, Won't you sing along with me? Maybe is that how that ends? I don't know. I, I don't remember. remember. I'm so glad you did the yeah. full album. I was waiting to see where you would stop. <laughs> how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, I mean, how are any of us doing right now? Yeah. Uh, so you are the you are the sharpest culture critic that I know personally. Oh, thank you. You have an extraordinary ability to deconstruct movies, TV, pop music. You had a popular music blog that developed a devoted following. Um, That's right. What what were the first things that you remember watching and listening to? And when did your critical critical approach first start to form? Do you remember, like, from being a kid? Oh, I was always that kid. Yeah. Um, I mean, it it was never enough for me to consume something. I had to then recreate it and present it so if i you know like there's a i remember watching a clip of michael crawford's the phantom of the opera coming down a staircase wearing that full like red death look i love bad guys as a kid so i was like what is that how do i do that yeah and my parents explained like the phantom of the opera to me so then i started before i even saw it before they took me to see it for my fifth birthday on broadway i would put up like little um shows my stuffed animals recreating the show and nice. so even though like that's not the same thing as critiquing it it was setting my brain up for breaking something down into a set of elements and uh trying to build them and then and that way i could decide like if i did a good job or a bad job recreating it and then you could watch you know it was, it was i realized now it was my like entry point into deconstructing entertainment interesting you know it's so funny that like that Michael Crawford thing, I have heard that a couple of times. Yours mm. is not the only uh, memory of that that was so formative. I have other friends who were really sort of uh, galvanized, if I'm using that right, by Michael, by Crawford, Michael Crawford doing wow. Phantom of the Ops. Oh, yeah, uh, our friend Jonathan uh, Jonathan Runyon is the, has this like a similar story, which is really fascinating. Um, I've never, se- I've still never seen Phantom of the Opera, I've n- and I'm a, you know, I'm a, I've talked on this podcast way too much about this, but we've talked a lot about musical theater. I've never seen <laughs> it. I I only saw Les Mis when I was like in college, and um, what, what's the other big one? Oh, I remember seeing Miss Saigon like my senior year of high school and being like, oh, I like this. I liked. I remember liking. Yeah. It. I still haven't seen yeah. Phantom. The Phantom is very, it's stupid, obviously, but there is, <laughs> the, yeah, the music itself is fantastic. And, yeah. um, and it's so much more powerful when you see it. Like, I think I rewatched it from one of those like free COVID, um, you know, like we're going to air, we're going to put this performance on YouTube for like two days thing that was going on for a that while. That was great. And People, a lot of places wasn't were doing it? that, including the, yeah. Um, the National Theater in London was putting out uh, some of their major, major shows on their YouTube channel, and I would shout them out right now. If you get a chance, go to the go to YouTube and search the National Theater in London and uh, see what they've put online because uh, it's a really cool thing that theaters have done during yeah. this time. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, but I I agree, and it's also so wild that obviously nothing touches being in the room 
with these people. But theater translates shockingly well to uh, to film. Like more yeah. like I like I remember there's a big stigma against that for a while. And since I've been watching those productions, the quarantine, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like I'm there. And it's not the same thing as watching a movie. But anyway, they had the Phantom uh, for like the 30th anniversary or whatever. Yeah. And uh, it was it was wonderful. It put me in the best mood. That's great. Yeah. Um, now, so you. But it's, it is it is stupid though. <laughs> so you also you participated in a large and ongoing, what would you call it? A focus group for what would finally become Hulu. Oh, Hulu. Yeah, we call it was called Studio U, and it was run by Frank Luntz, who uh, is quite infamous now. Are you talking about uh, the politics guy? Yep. Oh, I didn't know uh, that he ran it. Are you serious? For he, NBC and Fox, he ran this program? Uh-huh. He ran Studio U. Wow. He, yeah. Um, me and him clashed a lot because I, like, without knowing anything that goes into the shit that he does, and of course, since then, like, it's been studied rather extensively, I was able to understand he just kept presenting us with false binary options whenever he would ask us uh, a question about you know our taste or what you could tell that he had a very specific goal in mind of where to push this room full of kids. I guess I should explain the program. It was essentially, um, I guess, fifty. It was it was like forty or fifty people in there from college age up to maybe twenty four or twenty five. And NBC and Fox were trying to figure out how to create something like YouTube because YouTube was slowly starting to erode everything away but you know like the way that napster uh had eroded huh. like the yeah. music business model and they were like we've got to figure this out like they had just started putting nbc had just started putting their shows online that you could watch whenever you wanted and that was kind of radical and in fact they liked me very much on day one because there was a you know a whole ring full of creepy executives around us like when this started observing us and i guess the woman whose idea that was was in the room when I shouted out like how brilliant that was. So they put me in the special group after that, uh, that there was maybe 20 of us in, in that group. And they were trying to sort us from the casual consumers of entertainment to the aggressive seek out the best thing to watch all the time huh. group of people. And obviously you know me well enough to know that I would be in the latter group. So it, yeah. uh, it, it was, a, it was fascinating. I well, learned they, so much about the business. They offered some, somebody there, I think offered you a job. Am I right in marketing? Uh, for FX. Yeah. FX really liked me. Cause by the end we, they, they took the latter group to Fox, whereas originally we were being split between NBC and Fox and they put the, I don't know, the, the, the cat, I'm trying to find uh, a word that doesn't make me sound pretentious uh, when I talk about them, the other group into, uh, the NBC group. Yeah. But then my favorite day, like we had a rotating series of guests talk to us and the, uh, the department that I really fell in love with was FX's marketing department. And it was the first time I had ever walked away from listening to like essentially advertisers. Um, and we're thinking of them as artists. Like they really are artists yeah. with what they, with what they do with all of their marketing materials. I think. Yeah, they are definitely. I worked a little bit in uh, for Shiat Day and a couple of other advertising companies. It's it's a really interesting. Typically, it's a very interesting mix of uh, consumerism and art. Right, right. I mean, that's uh, that's the Mad Men finale, right? Like you can't. That's why it's yeah. like such a beautiful. That's a beautiful spoilers. I'm gonna be well. I'm gonna stay vague though. Like it basically ends on an ambiguous note. Uh, 
where you really watch one of the most iconic ads of all time. And you, you have to wonder like, is this art or is this purely cynical or is it something in between? You know, like it's just, I, when it comes to like, we live in a, we live in a capitalist society that you need to keep selling and buying things to keep functioning. Um, not one that I necessarily agree with. And people think of art as constantly, you know, the opposition to that. But I don't know what I, what I liked about FX's presentation, why I almost came close to working for them. So I had this epiphany where I realized you kind of got to infiltrate the existing system to, you know, make the art that then slowly raises consciousness. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And the fact that you have to be commercial is not an evil thing. <laughs> Well, look, we live in a t- I think this, like uh, this was said on another podcast. I think it was Bill Hader said this. Like there is no such thing as selling out anymore. Mm, oh, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, that's what he said. I thought it was well put because I don't think like, you know, there's so many people now who I mean, people are sponsoring their 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 personal posts with their family, you know, for products on their social right. media profiles. Yeah. Um Yeah, true. Do you think if like Kurt Cobain was alive, do you think he'd be on Twitter, for example? Mm, Kurt Cobain's annoying. Uh, so I, I I feel like the most pedantic. No, I feel like he would not be on Twitter. I feel like he it would just be too much for him. I mean, 1992, what, like society was too much for him. And so he, you know, <laughs> well, that's true. He took the exit route. That's uh, fair. Um, I, I don't I don't think he could exist in, in 2020 what do you consider to be selling out as defined by sort of today's standards Ooh, that's a tough question and can you name anybody I, who you consider having has not sold out um yeah absolutely i mean fiona apple is the first person oh gosh that, yeah, come, that comes to mind yeah uh and this i mean this album she released this year is a monumental piece of art yeah uh, it's incredible, but like she, and also it's not a gimmick with her, right? Like she, the world no, was certainly God, no. too much. The world was certainly too much for her as well, especially being a woman in that industry where you're like, you were getting massively sexualized um, in yeah. an unhealthy looking way from an early, from an early point on. And so she kept taking her exits and now she's obviously like a recluse in her Venice home, but she's not, you know, like she's, she still loves what she does so much that it overrides like, you know, her fear of the world. But at the same time, like she's never going to be like, Hey, I'm partnering with, uh, Instacart. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> what did you, you know, say? Instacart? Instacart. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like buy, buy five gallons of, of, uh, orange juice and get my, get my bonus track. No, uh, you won't see Fiona Apple doing that. No, that's true. That's, that's a right. fair call. She comes from that same. Well, I, we, whenever I think of that generation of folks, I think of the, the phrase alternative culture, which I don't think means anything anymore. I'm not sure. That, Absolutely. Right. No, like, yeah, there, there's no such thing. There's no such thing anymore. Right. Well, cause there's no, I mean, we're going away from our, you know, monoliths in, in our culture right now where everything is being divided up into niches and that's not right. an all bad, that's not even an all bad thing. But yeah, like the idea of alternative is funny to me when Billie Eilish is the number one pop star in the world. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, could you explain that a little bit more? I, I I like her and I like I like her music a lot, but I guess I don't know exactly what you mean. Okay, so I actually this is perfect because it comes back to Fiona Apple. Um, a, a few friends of mine had compared her to Fiona uh, when her like first album had come out or her first I'm sorry EP had come out, and I was just like, okay, I don't hear it. Like this is offensive to Fiona. Um, uh, this is this is not it. And then I finally saw her in concert. And first of all, incredible live presence, like in my top five live performers I've ever seen. It was like Judy Garland vibes uh, to the scroll. Mm. It was the weirdest shit. It was like she's the rare kind of live performer that makes you lean in to her instead of like uh, uh, coming to you. But then she can come to you as well. Like she's just the girl is fearless mm. on stage in a, in a way that you you don't even realize other people aren't until you see the right kind of example of it in front of you. Um, but, and I also helped that I was surrounded by these Gen Z kids who, and feeling like an old fuck, but I look young. So I, <laughs> I always feel like I, I'm, I look younger than I am. So I always often feel like I'm undercover in these situations. Uh, and, uh, they, they knew every word they were expressing. Like it was so, her imagery is so spooky and it's bleak. But to me, what I like about her is if I if I were coming into the world as Gen Z, I, I'd be coming into a horror show. Like we like yeah. as as, oh, yeah. as bad as badly as millennials got fucked, we at least lived in the illusion that everything was okay and that we were gonna grow up and live a better life than our parents and the American dream was just gonna keep getting exponentially better. These kids right. came into a world that like from minute one, they were like, Oh, you mean, uh, you mean this is all going to end? Yeah. The party's in 40 over 40 years. Yeah. You mean, this is like, you mean the, the global warming is, is happening and nobody's doing anything about it. You mean this like way of, uh, art, this economy is, is, is going to fall off the cliff clearly. And like they were, it was, it, I'm sure it must have felt like being the kid in the horror movie who, um, was trying to tell all of the adults that something was wrong with the house and the adults just didn't believe them. So when you look at a pop star, you look at the fact that she's their biggest pop star. It makes all of the sense in the world. Um, that, that is their, like their version of Britney Spears is this girl who can take all of their fears and be, you know, very honest about her anxiety and about her suicidal thoughts. And also the fact, what I also love about her is she covers her body. You know, like her whole, like, that sounds very like conservative dad of me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I, like, I, I like that girl because she covers up. But no, she's like, she refuses, <laughs> she refuses to be sexualized. And I just love that she's, when she was on that stage, she was, I mean, I guess she's 18 now. She was 17 at the time. So I don't, I have to watch how I word this. But it was, she was certainly dominating the crowd as opposed to um, letting you objectify her on stage, which was kind of the old model for being a pop star. Well, you know, so this is interesting because I, I had some questions lined up for you. I wanted you to sort of dem demonstrate a little bit of your... Um, My thing that I do? Your cultural acumen, yeah. And I so, but these were, I had some other questions. One was, um, are you, uh, what, what's, let me see here. What was I thinking? Oh, uh, I remember Rob Pattinson, Pattison. Do you think he's yeah. gonna be a good Batman? I think he's gonna be a great Batman. I think he's a hell of an actor. I think he's great. I mean, come on, the lighthouse. He's fucking great in that good time. Great, yeah, he is. Good. He's great in that movie. They both are. Yeah. I wonder about the voice. I wonder what he's gonna do with his voice because he has kind of more of a high, higher pitched voice, I guess. Right. 
I mean, whatever it is, is going to be better than Christian Bale's take on it. Like those movies are great, but that Batman voice is not it, honey. Still, like watching <laughs> so you're those in that, movies. Back. You're in that camp on the on the bat on the Christian Bale. Batman yeah, and I love. I actually I love his performance overall. Yeah, in it, but it's just, it's a little much. So I certainly hope that's not what Pattinson Do is modeling like this on. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, what uh, are you excited about, Tenet? No. <laughs> I... <laughs> that's it um... <laughs> we don't need to go <laughs> somebody i saw somebody tweet like that they were going to per they were going to watch tenant on their phone on purpose just out of spite <laughs> yeah it's just you know to me it's so it's so rigid i get what nolan is doing and i respect that he is so cinematic and you know but i think i think the fumes kind of got to his head a bit i mean inception's a perfect film for me i mean it's been a while since i've seen it so maybe oh I'll my watch god it i now. tried to rewatch that one recently i like his i like the prestige a lot but i tried to rewatch um inception and had a hard had had a hard time with it but you really interesting liked it, huh? what 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 was it about it that aged poorly or if you i'm assuming you enjoyed it like way back I, I liked it a little bit more the first time i saw it i didn't get much through it the second time around you know it was partly the i just maybe to be quite honest maybe i just didn't want to hear that fucking song a thousand oh, times right. yeah again yeah for me, it's a brilliant uh, dream. Nothing against ESPF, but I, that same song over and over again, like right, slowed down. I just enjoy the imagery and, or the symbolism, and I think it's an excellent. I think he pushes um, like commercial filmmaking, like something clearly designed to be a blockbuster or whatever, to its limit in terms of I'm going to make a film that can be broken down as either a metaphor of. Um, you know, like how we live our lives or how we make art. Like, I love that every character in that film can be a different um, uh, uh, job of like somebody on a set. Like you've got the writer, you've got the cinematographer, you've got like the actor, you've got like somebody broke it all down from that perspective. And I thought it was really genius. And then it becomes a story about telling stories. Right. And about, and it gets back at what we were saying earlier about art versus uh, commerce. When you're trying to change things where you don't want to, People don't like to listen to art where you walk on and wag your finger at them and tell them to stop buying stuff, for instance. But if you can plant the idea in their head and give them ownership over it as an artist, then that's everything. Like, that's the goal. And so I love that metaphor in the film, hmm. um, that, that, that's, that that's the entire purpose of it. In terms of the literal uh, aspects of the plot as they exist... I imagine there's a few holes there. <laughs> sure. Okay. All right. No, that's a great, uh, I mean, that's a, that's very inter- poignantly put. I, I so here, yeah. how about, uh, what is the, what's the best TV series right now that nobody's watching? Okay. I was about to say, I may destroy you, obviously. Um, I, uh, that nobody's watching. Mm. Tough though, because again, like everything is niche now. I was, I was expecting normal people to be a smash because I loved it and thought it was so revolutionary in terms of uh, the sex scenes and the, the way the intimacy coordinator truly made those fe- scenes feel like the, uh, the most important scenes of development, like huh. on any episode. I, I just never seen sex scenes that did that. And uh, it didn't really blow up. And I realized like, okay, well that ultimately had a niche. The, the Great as well. Um, I guess The Great's gotten more viewers, but uh, I would say those three shows really are my 2020. But again, people are watching them uh enough i wouldn't say that no one's watching them like they they all have an audience but what was the um, what was the first one that you said i missed it 
I may destroy you. Oh, I may des- oh, I may destroy you. It's Michaela Cole. Yeah, yeah. Have you watched that? I haven't watched those three shows that you just mentioned. I haven't watched them. I am I during the pandemic. Oh. I think what has happened is uh, Catherine said like you're you're reverting to things that make you feel like like make you um, I guess like comfort food. So I'm going back through Sopranos now for the right. third the third time. I'm going back through The Wire uh, for the second time. And then I'm watching a lot of movies right now. Um, could be new movies, could be old movies. That's what I've been doing a lot of. Not watching a lot of I, new television. It's interesting because this is not um, true across the board, I'm sure. But most of my straight friends are reverting to exactly that. that like that's been that's been their viewing pattern. Hmm. And all of my faggots and I are rabid consumers of pop culture and can't turn that switch off. So we. We just got to keep going, going, going. We're, we're, we, we stand. We stand this. We stand that. Like, we need stuff to stand all the time. Hmm. Now, I want to talk about you had a project that you put out before the shutdown. You debuted a really interesting web series called Guy. Um, <laughs> the, the series, it feels like a unique mix of genres, which gives it this kind of comically uneasy tone, right. almost, uh, I guess, L- Lynchian, it felt like to me. W- would you call it? Was it kind of like a celebrate, like a celebratory "fuck you" to culture? No, I think. I mean, that was it's a very difficult process making that because um, I was not the writer director, but some, the writer director wrote it with me in mind, and he was watching. I think my social media presence very closely for a while as he put it together. So when I got that, there were so many wild things in there that uh connected to me but hit you're ultimately seeing <laughs> it was a weird process as an actor because you were looking at somebody's perception of you like the one thing that he said that was really shocking this guy once he finally was directing me and it was like oh you're not like this character at all are you uh and i was like no i'm not and you know for me that's what made it fun but for him it was it was kind of shocking i think he maybe took it on as an attempt to be a fuck you to society but like, that's not me. That's not my perspective on the, like, fuck you is not, I mean, I've already shit on Kurt Cobain kind of in this podcast. So obviously like, I'm not, a, <laughs> yeah, like, you, you have shit on a, lot, a few things. Yeah. That's okay. Okay. Yeah. But I'm, <laughs> so but, long you know, like, not I me feel, doing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here, well, here's the thing. Like, obviously I respect like the craftsmanship of somebody like Cobain, but in terms of the deification of the rebels, man, who like, you know, fucking like destroyed themselves for us. Like it's not the martyrdom is 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 not my thing. I think fuck you society goes hand in hand with martyrdom. Yeah, I mean, I, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I I escaped from the Catholic Church. I don't need to deify any more martyrs. You know, like that's not right. It's not. It's it's not. It's not a fun practice. Like we're we're on this planet. God knows why, but we might as well like try to make things better and have fun at the same time. Like what's you know like it's not. You, you, and you can't really do that if, if everything is, is fuck you. So this movie, I guess, <laughs> I don't, that's a long way of me saying it doesn't represent my point of view. So uh, it, was a, it, was in, the, it was intended originally as a film and then it became cut up into pieces. And, and you, 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 so it's sort of, it, it's either a film or it's a web series. I truly have no idea what he's doing with it. <laughs> uh, I liked it as a web series. I thought it worked very nicely that way. I, yeah, I do too. Um, I think he was trying to do film festivals. 
uh, and it works very well. In my opinion, it worked better as a feature, but I know the majority opinion of people who've seen it prefer it cut up into pieces. For me, it's just like, it's a really wild ride where if you watch the first 15 minutes, that's nothing like the, you know, fourth slice of 15 minutes in it. Yeah. Where can, so where can people find that now? I, I truly don't know. He will he will reappear out of nowhere. And I think by the time this is up, you will be able to uh, see it on some form. I think he's going to sell it to somebody now because of the pandemic. People just need content, right? So I think he's using this opportunity to say like, okay, I'm going to look for a good digital buyer. If you follow it at, uh, at Guy the Film, at Guy the Film, uh, that is, that is where it is. It's, it's Lynchian it's, but it's adapted, I think for influencer culture. It's just, I, I don't want to say too much about it because, uh, the less expectations you have going in the more, what the fuck you're going to feel yeah. every, every step of the way. It just, it keeps changing shape. And that, that aspect is interesting. I it. thought it was great. So at guy, the film is that on Instagram? Yeah. It is, yes. Sorry, yes. Instagram. Now, I know you've been doing a lot of writing during this uh, pandemic. I, I've asked a couple mm-hmm. people this. I'm curious what you think is going to be the future of entertainment during and maybe post the pandemic. Hmm. Well, Zoom comedy shows suck. Uh, they, <laughs> I, you know, Have you watched like, any? I, I'm about to do I've, a few, actually. I've done, I've performed in a few. And, um... You know, I've I've had fun doing it, but would I want to watch it? I don't think so. Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah, I I don't think I've watched one. Yeah, it's just I mean, like there's a there can be a correct way to do it. It's just not like I made my favorite thing that I made was a short film that was just using Zoom backgrounds. Uh, uh, you know, like it's for me going from one place to another. I essentially made like a four minute silent movie uh, with it. And that's fun, but that's not live, you know, like, but, uh, as far as the, I think a, we're going to remember this moment of when we were forced to create things like this and going, and I think there will be tricks and, and, you know, angles of learning that we've picked up that we don't know we've picked up yet until theoretically the business returns to normal. And we start adapting the aesthetic, the zoom aesthetic, the, you know, all of that, a little bit more to this. Okay. Yeah, I think I remember I I think I read there was like there's a there's a comedy show. I think it's Jenny Yang is doing a comedy show uh, via Animal Crossing. Oh, God, which it's it's supposed to be great. I don't I need to sign up for an animal or I guess you can watch it on Twitch, but I'm not doing animal. I don't have any with kids again. It's like I have no time to be. I know a lot, like, Claude, a lot of Claude, people are watching television. A lot of people people are watching or like playing video games. I'm not playing video games. You you have eight million better things to do with your life, trust me, than Animal Crossing. Don't worry about that. <laughs> okay, good. that's good to have that confirmed. Yeah, um, it's for it's it's for losers. <laughs> Jesus, you you're really not sparing anybody with the with the rod today. I'm okay. I, I guess I should, I'm joking. I'm joking about. That. I'm just yes. Uh, that that is that is more of it. I actually just, I have no interest <laughs> in it. There's 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 no conflict. There's no nothing. It's just it's not it's not for me. And I'm sick of seeing it in everybody's Twitter. But yes, I I anybody who enjoys it, I'm genuinely happy that you have found some joy in this world. <laughs> I'm gonna pair this interview up with the most famous person that I have on this whole thing, just so that everybody can hear your scalding hot takes. Um, 
<laughs> so uh, I did want to ask you, I went to your birthday party this past winter um, mm-hmm. and my God, it was filled with at least half of all the important LA thought leaders. Um, you're, you're friends with a lot of um, uh, important critical thinkers. Are you, wh- when's, when is, when are you going to do your podcast? I don't have a format for it. I think you need a format for, I think that your format is, is fun and it's uh, distinct and I could, explain it to somebody in, you know, in an elevator pitch. And I don't have that for myself yet. And being a gay who has critical thoughts, like it's kind of, you know, like there's saturation for that out there. Like, that's just what I'm doing. Uh, You know, but it's, yeah, I, and I don't know if a podcast is my medium necessarily, Uh, but. Well, we'll find out after this, right? (laughs) Well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. People are, people are going to love me. <laughs> I love you. Mm. Oh, I love you too. I do. That that wasn't meant. To, I mean, we're probably close to the end here, but that wasn't supposed to be the end. <laughs> Let <me> yeah. Say, <laughs> Let me see if there's, there's anything. Really oh, so I did that, want to yeah. ask you a little bit about. So you're on a house team over at the Pack Theater. I am. Yeah. Well, yes, um, theoretically, when that exists. Again. When that exists again, yeah, it still exists. People are. They did a big sort of. Uh, charity fundraiser I, I saw for the theater it's got a lot of heart they, they're sort of the new kid on the block of the improv schools in la can you talk a little bit about why you chose the pack over the other comedy schools in la like uh well i'll just leave it at that i mean they're pretty much the only kid left on the block at this point somehow but uh they for me i had i came into la well to give everybody some background this is a much bigger story but i came to los angeles thinking i was straight learned that i was not uh, but my realization of that came as I was like making some waves at UCB. I wasn't crushing it, performing there, you know, three times a week, but I was, I was on stage a decent amount and like making all the right friends at UCB when I first came in and I was inspired by what I was watching. I was inspired by the people who I was with. Many of them blew up and became very successful. And, uh, I had a mental breakdown because all of a sudden it was, I didn't know who I was when I went into, you know, any room. I didn't know what my, and like when you don't, when you realize you suddenly don't know who you are, A, you've got to sit with like all of those, like, my God, like I've been lying to everyone and what are they going to think of me now? And I'm such a Mm -hmm. fraud and I'm done. That's the end of me. But like, also you don't know, like, I don't know what my perspective on the world is anymore. So I don't know how to write a comedy sketch that's, that's making fun of, you know, things that, that I see that you don't, you know, cause like, I don't, I don't know what I see anymore. So I and then also the the culture there all of a sudden it truly went from when you think you're a straight white man and then suddenly obviously like I'm still a white man so like things are things are there's little to complain about in the world for me but uh, but no learning you're gay it is your, your first hint at like all of a sudden you're teleported to outside the dinner party looking in mm, and yeah. um and it's very frustrating to be in an environment like UCB uh, a few years ago surrounded by a lot of guys, a lot of straight white men who were maybe picked on in high school or whatever. Uh, and oh, so they think they're the, incapable. Here is the tea. Here, let's have yeah. it. So they're incapable, but like they, they, they still think of themselves as the protagonist, no matter what. Right. right? right. Like they, they're, in, they're incapable of being Freddy douchebags because the Freddy douchebags beat them up when that's not human behavior. Human behavior is hurt people, hurt people. So you like all you have all of these scenes huh. that are just so fucking fratty. And like the running joke for so much of the vibe then was like two straight guys who are acting gay or kind of gay or whatever, which is not offensive. It's just um, 
boring you know like when yeah, like oh, totally my example that i always use to people because i truly think this defines an entire like uh, mini generation of of comics is the judd apatow you know how i know you're gay you know how i know you're gay you know how i know you're gay thing from knocked right. up which That's is not a home it's, yeah it's not a homophobic joke like it's not it's just um it's just okay like I, I, they're doing stuff that's like it's it's that thing where you realize like the comic minds behind it you see their you see their limitations with themselves where like they but where if they're flirting with behavior that is not acceptable then that's funny that's that like that if, if i'm if i'm gonna do this thing if i'm if i'm gonna behave this way then that means that i fuck men you know which like as some like i just know that that's not how life works you know it's not interesting it's like it's 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 basic i'm struggling with the exact words to give it but it's more like a, a sense of basicness profound basicness but then that can also feel like it's strangling you when you're surrounded by it everywhere because then people get weirded out by your perspective on the world as somebody who's like you know had group sex and uh you know like done been, been to very insane parties surrounded by you know everybody who's like people that are like people who who look and act insane by like straight cis idaho standards or whatever like it's just it's weird for me to see that much um geez really you really threw idaho under the bus there well, it's my go-to, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, but, but anyway. Poor so Idaho is just standing there doing fucking nothing. All of this is very far from your question, but like, uh, I will, I'll bring it back and say that once I figured my shit out and um, stopped having mental breakdowns, got my meditation in order, got my therapy in order, uh, got, ma got my ADHD medication in order, uh, I was deciding is, it was time to jump back in because I just know that for me, whatever place is, is out for me in the industry is going to come from me creating my own opportunities. And uh, the Los Angeles comedy scene is just like right there for you. It'd be great if we had a theater scene in LA that like, uh, you know, was easy to get people who could give you big mo you know, money opportunities would go and attend, but they just don't, but they will come out to comedy. So I was like, all right, I just have to, I really chartered a four year plan for myself to um, ultimately produce a showcase and say like, this is what I've learned. This is who I am. And I started at the pack because it was less intimidating for me to jump back into, quite frankly. Um, and it, I also had just heard really great things about the level one uh, uh, sketch class. And it truly is, I think, the best comedy class I've ever taken. It changed the way that I thought about comedy. And what I loved about it is it's not like this groundling style, um, which I've done and has its merits, uh, or even UCB style of teaching they the pack's emphasis is giving you the tools to um to make your own rules for your writing but make sure it's funny you know as opposed to there's no orthodoxy to how to how they run their classes there and the downside of that is it's a little punk rock it's a little sloppy it can get like it can get real it can get real you know lowest common denominator on that stage sometimes but i've also seen some of the most brilliant stuff I've ever seen on stage in Los Angeles there. Like, it's yeah. just, it's, it's a, it's a really fun, chaotic energy. And when I went back to take classes at UCB again, it was so bizarre to me. Cause like, it was a completely different environment. It was antiseptic. Um, it was, uh, it like, I wasn't even allowed to, you, you can't say straight man in your scene anymore. Uh, for instance, you have to say the voice of reason. And, oh, I didn't know that, that that's an interesting, okay. Yeah. It's, New yeah. And it's like, 
and it's like i get it but it just it feels like it's if if they you know were driving off the left side of the road when i was there before with the fratty bro thing this culture change happened and then they overcorrected to the other side in a way that feels inauthentic and um uh, i just didn't have fun there there was like a lot of anxiety it was it, you could tell it was a machine the love was really gone from that place which i think is evident in in their you know destruction right now um i think this has been a long time coming quite frankly but uh yeah i give give me give me chaotic energy over like a cynical machine any day that's why i'm still at the pack cool so let me ask so where can people find you online um it's i'm finally back on twitter many of my many of my best friends now are very good at the twitter thing and have been telling me to jump back on for a while and it's been intimidating because i'm like who am i and then i have to remember like oh right twitter is just Twitter's just a place where you splat your thoughts. Doesn't you don't have to judge them. Uh, so I'm on Twitter as Royce Johnson, uh, which I'm sure you can see the correct spelling in the name of the episode. Uh, and then I'm on Instagram, which is my preferred medium, at uh, Royce Looks at Stuff. Yes, you are fantastic to follow on both, particularly oh, Instagram. <laughs> you are. <laughs> <laughs> The, I, the, a, the things I like you post on Instagram are you. Uh, well, I think I was like he for a while. I was considering you like an Instagram poet. <laughs> How so? You would say these profoundly funny, but sort of vague, but also very specific things at the same time. Much like poetry, poetry feels vague, but it's actually all very specific. I guess. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. I had I just went through and deleted a bunch of my stuff from like 2016. So thank you for saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, de- I definitely deleted my gaze for Trump post because I was like, the joke doesn't read anymore. Well, I love you did this. Uh, I guess this is whatever this was. I This is something fun. I think more people should be doing. You did a lip sync contest. Is that what it was? Oh, yeah. This yeah, is like yeah, the yeah. most it was one of the most cathartic videos I've watched during this uh, pandemic from a friend, you know, posting stuff or or, or anything um, using the sort of the template of the Groundhog Day, uh, the, right. the Sonny and Cher song, You're Lying in Bed. And then it, folks should go and check that out because that was I felt that was thrilling. Yeah, that was my performance of Anthems by Miss Charlie XCX, right. who I'm a huge fan of. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I won. I won my I won my contest. I'm doing another one. My next Fine. one is going to be absolutely too much and insane i might get in trouble for it but isn't that why we do these things not me i'm trying not to get in trouble at all (laughs) thank you so much for doing this i love you man guys globing water uh i I, I love you too i think i i think you're uh i think you're brilliant i always have and um i think you're really good at this too not to like judge it as it's happening but uh you're 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 talented in so many ways, and I'm uh, happy to discover this is a, a brand new one. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. All right, dude. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. Dum, 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 dum. To everyone out there, if you listened all the way to the end of this seventh episode, I cannot believe it. I, I'm just so, it means so much to me. Thank you so much for listening. Give us a subscribe and those sweet high star ratings, a nice comment, and we'll return the favor by bringing you even more quality content in the future. Stay tuned because we've got just three more incredible episodes, including interviews with Ryder Doyle, Sarah Paxton, Tembi Locke, Dahlia Malik, Vinnie Chibber, and Elna Baker, to name more than a few. 
Our sound engineer is Christopher Frontiero, and our series composer is Cormac Bluestone. Our series graphics editor is Dan Olszewski. I'm excited right now because we did good enough on this first season that I am pretty sure at this point that we will have a second season. So I want to say thank you again to everybody who is listening. I am having a lot of fun doing this series, as I know Winston is as well. Um, We want to thank our guests uh, from the bottom of our hearts for coming on and doing this show with us. Stay tuned, folks.